Matthew 6, 19 to 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Proverbs 23, verses 4 to 8. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout rings and fly off into the sky like an eagle. Do not eat the food of a begrudging host, do not crave his delicacies, for he is the kind of person who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he will say, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the little you have eaten, and you will have wasted your compliments. Good day, everyone. It's good to be here tonight and to share some things from God's word with you. Uh, we'll be looking at the first part of that Matthew passage from 19 to 24, uh, not the full bit that we looked at in verse 30 to 34, but um, let's pray before we... Uh, do that. A loving God, do please give us ears to hear your word this evening. And uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, uh, you would help us to be receptive. We pray that we might respond to your word uh, with joy and with gladness uh, and with devotion to our Lord Jesus. We pray in his dear name. Amen. What should be our attitude to our wealth? That's a pressing issue for us and even a problem for us because we live in such a wealthy society. And never before has our wealth been elevated uh, to the highest and greatest good. We are swamped by uh, advertising and TV shows and movies 
and political manifestos that are all designed to make us think, if only I just had a bit more money, uh, then I would be content. It's assumed in our society that uh, we should always make choices uh, that contribute to greater wealth. And although we know that money uh, can't buy happiness, most people still think that maybe it will. And so they aim for the next uh, thing that money can buy that might just bring contentment. Now, because this is so much a part of our culture, it's so easy for us to fall for that kind of thinking. And even if you are a mature Christian, you, you can be caught uh, by the deceitfulness of sin. And it's easy to be deceived in this particular area of life uh, because, as Jesus said in the parable of the sower uh, in Matthew 13, uh, wealth is deceitful. So in that parable of the sower, the seed uh, that falls among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, uh, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth uh, choke the word and making it, uh, making it unfruitful. So wealth presents a challenge for us. It's our hearts that deceive us, but wealth can be that thing that uh, leads us to be deceived. It promises us much. Uh, it lures us into thinking that true security and comfort and contentment can be found in what I own. Yet uh, it fails uh, to deliver and sucks out the spiritual life of those who are lured by it. So we need this word of exhortation uh, from Jesus tonight. And uh, what should be our attitude then towards our wealth and our material possessions? In this section of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we have three pithy sayings from Jesus that all contribute to our understanding of what our attitude should be uh, towards our material possessions. And as we hear what Jesus says about that this evening, I want to encourage you uh, to listen to what Jesus is saying to you about your attitude to your wealth. Uh, not just listen to the principles that Jesus uh, puts forward or to what he is saying to our society or to what he is saying uh, to those people out there who are greedy or to the other person who has more than I do. Uh, what is he saying to you about your wealth? And whether you have much wealth or not, uh, that's not the issue the issue is our attitude towards our wealth. What's Jesus saying to me and to you about our attitude to our wealth? Well, three interconnected sayings here about that. And the three sayings are about uh, treasures, they're about eyes or vision, and they're about masters. And each one has a clear and a definite contrast. There's two kinds of treasures, there's two kinds of eyes, and uh, there's two kinds of masters. But the connecting thought and the, challenging, uh, the challenge of each of these sayings is the idea of single-mindedness. Disciples of Jesus are to be totally committed to his service and not allowing our hearts to be distracted and set off course uh, by the desire for more wealth.
So let's have a look at these, uh, these pithy sayings of Jesus. First one in verses 19 to 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here is a call to reorientate our life so that our priorities are not about storing up treasures on earth, but storing up treasures in heaven. And Jesus highlights the wisdom of living this way. He does it first of all by highlighting um, the folly of, of amassing treasures on earth. So uh, uh, the folly of that is seen, isn't it, quite obviously in, uh, you know, moths eat garments, uh, vermin, that is, pests and nuisance animals, they devour crops and they spread diseases, uh, thieves uh, take possessions. The point's clear, isn't it, in, the, in each of the illustrations. Material possessions don't last. And uh, those who live for their stuff, who make what they own their priority in life, put even their own life on an insecure footing. It's foolish to live for things that won't last, for, for things that will perish. That's why we had that Proverbs reading this evening. Um, we heard it there, didn't we? Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Or listen to just a, a few verses from Psalm 39 as the psalmist reflects on the folly of chasing after wealth. Show me my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. And then later, when you rebuke and discipline anyone for their sin, you consume their wealth like a moth. Surely everyone is but a breath. See, our earthly treasures are temporary, they're fleeting, they don't last. And it's good to be reminded of that from the scriptures, from the wisdom literature and from Jesus. And the wicked who chase after them, their lives too, will come to nothing in the end. It's foolish to heap up wealth. It's foolish to make that our priority uh, in life because it's all going to fade away to nothing in the end. And all who chase after worldly treasure, all who live for their stuff, they'll come tumbling down with it all in the end. Rather, Jesus says in verse 20, it's wise to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not steal and destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Store up treasures that last. 
Now, Jesus doesn't spell out how he can store up these treasures in heaven, uh, treasures that last here. It's a pithy saying. It's not a detailed uh, argument. But earlier in the Sermon on the Mount that that you've been hearing here at Unichurch for a number of weeks now, and including even in this chapter, we see what heavenly treasure is all about. We live our lives under God's uh, sovereign and loving care. Through Jesus, we know God as our loving Heavenly Father. And we live our lives now on this earth knowing that our Heavenly Father is watching, that he sees what is done and that he will reward us uh, in heaven. And so we store up treasures in heaven whenever, whenever we do uh, the good things uh, that, that, that he has for us to do, those things that are of eternal significance. And that includes the righteous life that Jesus calls for in the Sermon on the Mount. It includes suffering um, because of that righteous life, as we have seen. It involves forgiving one another. It involves showing uh, kindness and generosity uh, to others. All of these in Matthew hold out the promise of reward in heaven. So living that way is living for the treasures of heaven. See, treasure in heaven has to do with investing in things that are of eternal value. Investing in our relationship with God and living lives that reflect that, that we know God. Lives that honour him and lives that please him. And treasure in heaven has also to do with investing our lives in that cause of helping others come to know God, to have a relationship with God. The greatest treasure in the whole world, as Colin Buchanan puts it, based on these things, is to have peace with God, isn't it? There's nothing more valuable. There's no greater treasure than that, is there, than to find peace with God, to have relationship with God. That's the real lasting treasure. But look at what Jesus pinpoints in verse 21. The heart of the matter here is where is your heart? See verse 21? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it makes us think about what we truly value. The things that we most highly treasure, the things that we value most, that will show us where our heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. See, the things that we treasure go to the heart, don't they? And in the Bible, that's the, that's the core of our being. Those things occupy our mind. Uh, those things move our emotions. Those things uh, move our will to go and do things that we wouldn't be motivated to do otherwise. So the things that are our, treasured, our cherished treasures... They're the things that control our priorities and our direction in life. See, most of us could probably easily say that we aren't storing up treasure on earth. Uh, That kind of sounds like what a pirate would do. And after Pirate Mania Week this week, we all know what pirates do. Uh, They store up treasure. (laughs) Uh, But if we ask ourselves the question, uh, what is of ultimate importance to you, That gets us thinking, doesn't it? It gets us thinking about our goals and our ambitions, the things that occupy our minds, the things that we think are really worth chasing, 
the things that motivate us to do things we wouldn't otherwise do. So, what really gets you going and motivates you? Uh, Is it the prospect of a job and good career at the end of uni? Is that the thing that really motivates you and moves you? More money? That's an easy one to make your goal, isn't it, when you're a uni student? (laughs) A more comfortable lifestyle? Or is what really motivates you to know God and to have a growing knowledge of God through his word? Investing your time and your energy uh, in helping others to know God as well. The things that are of ultimate importance to us, that's where our hearts are. See, our, our wealth presents a challenge for us about where our loyalty lies. Our treasure commands our loyalty. And we need to take care we don't make the number one priority those things that don't last, those things that are not of eternal value. And disciples of Jesus know what is of eternal value. We're to go about living our lives as those who are rich towards God and who store up treasure in heaven. Well, there's a second statement, and that's about our eyes or our vision. And it reinforces what we've just heard and what we're about to hear in the third saying about being single-minded and, and uh, in our loyalty to God. It's a, it's a somewhat obscure saying, so we'll think about it a little. Let's read it. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, um, we're familiar probably with the imagery of light and darkness being used in the Bible for spiritual health or for, spirit, or for spiritual failure in the case of darkness. And that's the kind of uh, thing that we see here. But the eye as the lamp of the body is a bit more obscure to us, isn't it? Well, you see, there is, there is in the Old Testament and also in other Jewish writings this idea uh, of, of the eye being the lamp of the body. And here it is the, the window through which light enters the body. So in, in the NIV, if your eyes are healthy, then your whole body is full of light. So it's a metaphor, it's picture language to help us picture having good spiritual sight that leads um, to spiritual health. The effectiveness of the eyes is dependent on whether uh, they are healthy or they are unhealthy. Healthy eyes, healthy spiritual sight, in, in Jesus' illustration here, gives light to the body. Unhealthy eyes darkens the whole body. All right, now there's a bit more to it. See, the word translated healthy could actually be, be translated uh, more literally, single. You see, more is being said here than just about having a healthy or an unhealthy eye. And the Greek word used here can have the idea of being single-minded uh, or undistracted. And that fits really well with what we've just seen, doesn't it? About having spiritual priorities of uh, being single-minded about storing up things uh, in heaven, not on earth. 
It fits really well what we read a little later in this, in this section as well. Uh, seeking first the kingdom of, kingdom of God. Being single-minded about the kingdom of God. But you know, Jesus sometimes cleverly constructed riddles like this one that can be read at two levels. So the word he uses for the healthy eye and the other words derived from it can also have the sense of generosity. It's used that way a number of times in the New Testament. So if the healthy eye is really about single-mindedness and more especially about generosity in verse 22, it fits really well with that contrasting idea in verse 23 of the unhealthy or the bad eye. The bad eye or the evil eye in the Bible uh, can be about jealousy, but it's also about selfish greed. It's about meanness. It's about the opposite to generosity. So in our reading today that we had that Proverbs 23 one, it said, don't eat the food of a begrudging host. And in the original Hebrew language, he is literally the bad-eyed host. He's stingy rather than generous. He has an eye on his own wealth and not wanting to give it away, keeping it for himself. He doesn't have an eye on the good of his guests. So if you don't quite follow all that, that's okay. I'm about to summarise it. By the particular word that Jesus uses for healthy or unhealthy eye, he's commending both single-mindedness and generosity. He's commending undivided loyalty to God and an attitude of detachment to our wealth. That'll be seen in generosity. So it's single-mindedness and generosity. And we mustn't miss here what a lovely, positive, attractive picture uh, this is of the spiritual health of an effective disciple. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light, Jesus says. Single-mindedness about the kingdom and generosity, that kind of vision for the use of our wealth, That's going to be part of what illuminates our whole body, giving light to the whole person. With that kind of vision for our wealth, we have here a key to our spiritual health, to being an effective disciple of Christ. This attitude is to be desired. It is to be cultivated. Single-mindedness and generosity as we lay up treasures in heaven. So are you fostering an attitude to wealth that could be described as sitting loosely to it? Are you generous with what you own? Do you freely lend your possessions to others who have need of them without worrying if they're going to come back to you in the same condition or not? Do you think and plan about how to give your money away and where you're going to give it? And then do you actually give it? Or does it end up being spent on yourself? And the amount you spend is not the issue. It's the attitude of the heart that is the real issue here for the disciple of Jesus. Generosity that leads to generous giving. Now there's another whole sermon topic, a sermon on that one. uh, And you could have a read of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Paul thought it was so important 
that he wrote two chapters on generous giving in his second letter to the Corinthians. So if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? See, an implication of this is that our attitude to our wealth really matters. It's, it's, like, it's like a litmus test of our spiritual health. See, you can't live a godly life that is pleasing to God and continue to be stingy. It's not an aspect of the Christian life that we can afford to ignore, to pay little attention to. That's what Jesus is saying here. Well, the final saying then uh, underlines just how spiritually disorientated someone is if they are not guided by these principles. It's a stark contrast, two masters. What does Jesus say? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. See, behind the choice between two treasures and two visions... Uh, lies the choice between two masters. And the word for money here, you can't serve both God and money, is the word mammon, which is really not just about money. And it's not just about ill-gotten wealth, as some say it is. It's just about wealth. It's about our wealth, generally. And the point is obvious, isn't it? You can't serve both God and possessions. It's one or the other. To serve God or to serve possessions is quite literally here to be the slave of. And you see, the slave was owned by their master. He wasn't under a contract. He or she was owned by the person who bought them. You know, we can have two part-time jobs with two bosses, but you can't have two masters. A master wants complete loyalty and complete devotion. So you can't serve both God and your possessions. One will dominate. The demands, the loving demands of God and his son lovingly ruling over us make it impossible for us to combine that commitment with a commitment to material gain. You can't have your foot in two camps. It doesn't work like that. So it's about loyalty again being undivided, being single-minded. And the saying puts it really starkly, doesn't it? It's where the last saying was heading with the picture of the bad eye, the stingy, ungenerous attitude being one of those things that fills the whole body with darkness. Now Jesus says, look, your possessions can become such a focus of concern in your lives that greed will, will, uh, will compete with your loyalty to God himself. Any attempts to divide our loyalty between God and our possessions are impossible. You can't serve both God and money because one will dominate. So who are you going to serve? That's the question here, isn't it? That By this, by this statement, it, it can't help but ask us that. Will we serve God or will we serve money? Well, Jesus' wisdom on our wealth and possessions is so simple and clear. 
I don't think the difficulty is in understanding it. I think the difficulty is in living it. So here's a couple of things to do. At one level, the Bible's solution to greed is not to simply say, uh, stop wanting to be rich. Right? Did you notice that this evening? The text says not only to stop storing up treasures for yourself on earth, replace it with storing up treasures in heaven. And then later he'll say, seek first the kingdom of God. It's the same in 1 Timothy 6, 10 to 11, where it's not enough to just run away from greed. The godly person is also to chase after something else. We're to flee from the love of money and we're to pursue God and a godly life. So here's one thing to do. The antidote to greed is to learn to be a generous and cheerful giver and to plan your giving. We learn this way of life from our Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? The grace and generosity of Jesus was that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's the gospel that teaches us not to be stingy, but to be generous. But the other thing that we've seen tonight, and this is the second thing I want to say to finish with, is that, is that Jesus goes to the heart, not just to our actions. So we need to look at our hearts. His choice of words shows that, doesn't it? It's what we treasure in our hearts. It's, what, it's who we are devoted to that matters. When Jesus says, where your heart is, there your treasure is, when he speaks of two masters saying you'll be devoted to one or you'll despise the other, he's speaking about who or what we love. He's speaking about our desires. He's speaking about what we are passionate about, about where we find pleasure and fulfilment and satisfaction. So the heart of the matter is where is your heart? What brings the most pleasure and fulfilment and joy? Well, if the greedy find pleasure and fulfilment in their possessions, Psalm 16, verse 11 says, In God's presence we're filled with joy, and at his right hand are eternal pleasures. See, we're created to glorify and also to enjoy God forever. We human beings are incomplete and we are ultimately dissatisfied until we are right with God, until we find peace with God, until we find joy in God, the one who saved us. The King, Jesus Christ, must conquer our heart and its selfish desires. That's the key to having the right attitude to wealth. God at great cost, not just the cost of silver and gold, but at the cost of the blood of his dear son, he redeemed us from an empty and a futile way of life. And what we see all around us is not all there is and ever will be. Materialism is a lie. And, you know, we can fight God, we can ignore God, we can replace him with all kinds of substitutes, including material wealth, but uh, to do any of that is futile and it's foolish and it ends in disappointment. And there are endless stories 
of very wealthy and successful people who have been very public about how dissatisfied and miserable and unhappy their lives are from living that way. We have one this morning at uh, 8 and 10 in a different sermon from Ben Smart and another, another text talking about Michael Jordan, the basketballer. You might want to chase that one up later, find out some more about that. The greedy look to their riches for confidence and security. But God offers us a harder currency that has no risk of exposure to instability or to devaluation. The person who is really rich has a settled confidence in God and a settled trust in the God who made the world and who bought and brought us back into relationship with him. And such a person, a Christian person, can, can affirm that God is with them always. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And our security and our confidence is in him. It's not in what we own. And you know, even if an economic disaster were to come upon us, and that's not beyond all question in Australia, even if that were to happen, we can affirm with the Apostle Paul that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. So to conclude, a little later in Matthew, in chapter 16, verse 26, Jesus says, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his life? See, in the end, the loyalty and the single-mindedness that's called for here in Matthew 6 um, and the storing up of treasure in heaven, not on earth. It's a call to find life in Jesus. Life is not about material possessions and food and clothing. Life is about knowing and finding the Lord Jesus, in whom we have life in abundance. Um, I'm going to conclude by reading from 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. Um, It has lots of really wonderful parallels to what we've been hearing tonight from Matthew 6. And it's a command to those who are rich uh, and us in the developed world, we're the rich. So it's for us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let's pray. (coughs) Father God, thank you for so richly providing us with with every good thing that we enjoy. But we thank you most of all for our relationship with you through the Lord Jesus Christ and his death for us. And we thank you that in your presence we are filled with joy and that at your right hand are eternal pleasures. So we thank you especially for the rich treasures of heaven, of heaven.
We do pray you'll please forgive us for being so easily and foolishly concerned with our own prosperity and comfort while often being unmoved about the greater things of the kingdom of God and of the coming age. Lord, please remould us so that we flee evil desires, including greed, so that we pursue godliness, including being generous with all that we have. So, Lord, help us to be single-minded about the treasures of heaven that can never wear out or be spoiled. And help us to be wise and generous in giving more of our riches away. Amen.